0: Let's give a thanksgiving prayer. Lord, we're so thankful for what we have already experienced this morning. Thank you that we could hear your word read. Thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of praying this wonderful gift. And Lord, also thank you that we could sing. Lord, now we thank you that we can enter into hearing your word preached. Um, So we're so thankful for that wonderful gift that you have given us. Lord, we're thankful for everything that is given to West Church. And Lord, we know that by your grace, you can make much of the little that we bring to you. Lord, we ask that you would do that exactly. Lord, all the little that we bring to you, we pray that you would make much out of it. Lord, that people would come to know Jesus Christ and him crucified, that he would be lifted up in their hearts and made famous in their homes. So Lord, bless all the giving at West Church to your glory so that people might be saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, please be seated. And if you have your Bibles, we're continuing in Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six, and we'll start from verse seven down to verse 13. all right. So I'll read for us and you can follow along. Mark six from verse seven. This is God's word. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey, except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, So this is this is a story now about a group of disciples who, from chapter one up to this point, have experienced um, the teaching of Jesus. They've observed him, they've considered what he's been doing. They've really been tagging along on this mission that Jesus has been on, and they haven't really participated in the work yet. And this is the first time where the disciples move from being spectators, into being people who are now uh, working alongside Jesus, being sent out with him. And friends, just right at the start, the point of this this passage is that people would come to trust in Jesus, that they would come and accept the gospel, that they would repent. That's the whole point of why they're sent out. And I wanted to talk about two things mainly in particular, their calling and their sending. And then the last thing is is the response of the people who they are called to go to. So let's think about their calling and their sending. Look at verse 7. It says that he called the 12. So again, these are people who had already been following Jesus. If you remember in chapter 1, when Jesus calls the first disciples, remember Simon, Simon Peter, um, whose brother was Andrew, they were on a boat. And Jesus calls out to them and he says, follow me and they'll all make you become fishers of men. Now Jesus is sending them to go be fishers of men. But before you can ever be a fisher of men, you must be a follower of Jesus. That is the prerequisite. There, there is no one who can rightly go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ who is not already saved by that same gospel. There, was, there is no one who can go and Um, participate in fishing for humans, for their souls, who has not already been caught by Jesus. Now, this passage has many things that are only applicable to this passage, that are only applicable to the disciples in this context. But there are some principles in this passage that carry on forever, and that carry on to you and I who are here today. And the first one being, if you are ever to be a worker for Jesus. If you were ever to be a partner in the gospel, you must first have received that gospel. Now, here's a little illustration. Um, Has anyone ever heard that term, never trust a skinny chef? The the point of that sort of um, little saying there is, if a chef is not into his own food, if he does not delight in what he is serving, don't trust him. Um, And that carries over to here. You know, it's really sad to think about around the world and even here in Auckland that there may be ministers of the word, that there may be pastors, elders, teachers of the word who have not enjoyed the taste of the gospel. What these people are like, these people who are fishing and have never followed Jesus, what these people are like is a chef who works at a three-star Michelin restaurant. And they're serving these people all these wonderful meals, and yet they're famished. They've got just skin and bones. There's not a bit of fat or muscle on them. They have never tasted for themselves the meal that they're serving to other people. You could also think of the illustration of a tailor, you know, someone who works with clothing. They might make the best gowns, the best three-piece suits using the finest fabrics so that whoever they make it for is dressed up like they're going to the queen's ball. But they themselves are dressed in rags. They themselves are dressed in clothes that have never met the washing machine before. These people don't know what it's like to wear what they are giving out. So we must be clear, to work for Jesus, you must have first been saved by Jesus. To be a fisher you first have to be a follower. To be sent first you must
1: be called. That sort of carries
0: on to um, a, a next point is the disciples have moved from being spectators to a new area of following Jesus where they are no longer spectators. And if we ask the question, who is supposed to go? Who is supposed to be sent? Who is supposed to be working for Jesus? Anyone who has been saved by Jesus. So, who was called to participate in the mission of Christ here on earth, where he is building his church, where he is saving people and bringing, him, bringing them to himself? Who is supposed to participate in this? Who is supposed to be fishing? All of the followers. If you have been called to follow, The consequence of following Jesus is that you follow him into the work that he is doing. What work does he do? He was the first one who was sent. The father sent him. He is is the first true apostle. He's the one who came and was sent and who is preaching the gospel. So to follow Jesus, you must must participate in what he is doing. So who is the one who was sent? The one who was saved first. And if you are saved first, everyone is called to go. Everyone is called to participate. And that works in different ways. Um, The disciples, they participated in the the public proclamation of the gospel, sort of like what we do here at church. Um, But many of the people who they interacted with, and you see some people even held them up. Some people, when they came to their town, they actually fed them and looked after them. They participated in this great mission that Jesus had by looking after the people who were proclaiming it publicly. So it doesn't mean that everyone here must stand in front of a microphone and preach, but everyone here must be committed to that goal of fishing for souls. So everyone, this is not a spectator sport. There are no spectators um, when it comes to the mission that Jesus has given his church, which is to go out and preach repentance. Now look again at at verse 7 it says there that he gave them authority over unclean spirits. And then look down at verse 13, you sort of see the the result of them having been given this authority. Verse 13 says, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick and healed them. I said at the start that the main point of this passage is that people would come to repent. So the main point of the passage is not that people experienced miraculous healings, but why were the miracles there? They were there to support the main point. So Jesus gave, this, gave them authority to actually go and preach the gospel. How do people know that they have the authority to preach the gospel? Well, through visible things that they can see, the miracles that accompany them, the signs that pointed towards them having that authority. So when Jesus sends them out, he gives them this authority and people cannot mistake that these people have the authority to preach what Jesus has told them to preach there'll be no mistake. They come into town. There's a person demon possessed. They come, they heal that person, and then they preach the gospel. The role there is the the miracle supports the preaching. The miracle supports the teaching. The miracle is not the main point. The miracle points towards the main point, which is the proclamation of the gospel. And here we see um, the repentance, people actually turning away from their sins and coming to Jesus. The main focus, friends, is the repenting. The main focus, if you look down at verse 8, 9, and 10, um, is that people would come to repent. Now, what we also learn from verse 8, 9, and 10 is that they have been commanded by Jesus to pack lightly. You know, don't don't take two suitcases when you go. What you're going to do is you're not going to take a bag, you're just going to take a staff. Don't take any money in your belt. And what this is teaching us is not, not every missionary is called to do that. We see in the rest of the New Testament that there is actually some planning, some preparation. There's itineraries. There, there are schedules that people follow. And so this is not saying never plan when you go on mission. Never plan when you go and preach the gospel to someone. Never plan when you tell someone about Jesus Christ. This is teaching us the principle that these disciples, Jesus was giving them a lesson and trusting and the provision that God gives. So when you go, don't pack anything. When you go, don't plan whose house you're going to. Don't just turn up to this town and whoever takes you, you go and you stay there for the duration that you are in that town. And this is teaching them to trust in in God. Now, planning may come into into the fold later on, and it does, but the principle of trusting in God remains the same. Whenever we do this work that is impossible really for us. Whenever we do this work of proclaiming the gospel, when we're calling people to repent, we must trust in God. Unless we trust in God, what else is there to depend on? How good I am at speaking? Um, how, how much money I give them before I tell them about the gospel? How nice I am before I, I proclaim that they should repent? No, the results come from God. So we must trust in God. And they are learning this lesson of trusting in God. Also, it reminds me, do you remember um, the Passover? The night before the Passover, um, when they had the Passover lamb, they, they were told when you have this meal, be ready to go at a moment's notice. Have, have, have your stuff ready to go. Um, when you eat, just you know, eat fast, eat like there's, there's no tomorrow, so that when the time comes, you go. You know, they, they're learning here that the most important thing is always the most important thing. Planning doesn't save people. Schedules do not change the hearts of people. A good itinerary doesn't turn a sinner into a sinner who has now been saved. Those things are all important, but they must know their place. The main point should always be the main point, and that is the proclamation of the gospel, the proclamation that people should repent. They should turn away from their sins and turn to God. So you see there that that's what they were called for, um, and that's what they were sent to do. They were sent to um, proclaim that people should repent. And if you look there in verse 12, it says just plain and clear. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Now, I just want to speak very briefly about how important repentance is. Repentance is so important that these disciples were sent on a mission to proclaim it to people by Jesus Christ. Repentance is so important that Jesus gave these disciples, these 12, the authority to heal and to cast out demons so that people would repent. Repentance is so important that, they were told, don't even think about all of these things on the side. Don't think about who you're going to stay with. Don't think about where you're going to get your next meal. Don't think about where you're going to get shelter over your head because it's, it's going to rain. And I've told you, don't take two tunics. You don't have anything to cover you. Repentance is so important that he says, take away anything else that might distract you. The principle here, friends, is that the main thing must always be The main thing and it has to be
1: and just before we move on to the next point
0: there is one amongst the 12 who just as I said you know the only ones who can go fishing are the ones who have been following Jesus who was called to go fishing anyone who has followed Jesus and you and I know that amongst the 12 there was Judas and Jesus calls the 12 to him and then sends the 12 out. So Jesus is included in the 12 that have been sent out. And just to sort of dig in a bit more on on my first point that you have to first follow Jesus, is because you go and serve, because you do something for Jesus, That's that doesn't mean that you're saved by Jesus. Because you go out, Um, and go to another country and perhaps preach because you preach to your workmates because you preach perhaps to your family members or your friends from school that doesn't mean that you were saved by Jesus being saved by Jesus means that you should do those things but doing those things doesn't mean you're saved by Jesus and there's a very serious and sobering example in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 down to verse 22 and 23 he says there about the last judgment. So this is on the last day when, when everyone is judged. Jesus says, on that day, people will come to me. And what will they say to him? They'll say, Lord, Lord. They, they've got some decent theology. They know enough that they should be calling him Lord. And they say, Lord, Lord, um, you know, did I not perform all these wonderful miracles in your name? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I heal the sick? And didn't I do many more wonderful works? didn't I have a good ministry? Didn't I do evangelism? Didn't I participate in the fishing part of what you told me to do? And Jesus will turn around and look at them and he'll say to them, he's not going to send them on a mission. He sends them somewhere else. He says, away from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So when we think about mission and we think about fishing, we think about talking to anyone who is not a Christian. We must first know Jesus ourselves. And that's a question for you. Do you know Jesus for yourself? Have you tasted what it's like to experience repentance? Do you know what that's like? Do you know what it's like to to trust in Jesus? And here's the consequence. Moving on to that second point. The response that we have when we encounter the proclamation that we should repent. Now, everyone here and here has, been, has encountered the, this proclamation. Everyone who these disciples have gone to has encountered the proclamation. And here's a couple of things that we must understand. Look at verse 11 with me. <clears throat> it says there, and if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. What Jesus is saying to the disciples is when you go to town A, If they do not receive you and if they do not listen to you, what that means is they did not receive me and they did not listen to me. If you go to town B, they do the same thing. If they reject you, what they're really doing is rejecting me. Because these disciples have the authority to take the word of Christ to these people. And if these disciples are rejected, it is Christ who is being rejected. So to reject his word, to reject the proclamation that you should repent, you're not just rejecting what the preacher is saying. You're rejecting what the word clearly says. And this is as plain and as simple as against. Friends, you must repent. And if you reject this call to repent, you are not rejecting me. You are rejecting Jesus Christ, whose word has commanded you to repent. And that must be as clear as crystal. Insofar so far as the preacher is faithful to the word, you are not responding to the preacher anymore. You're responding to the word. Now, how will you respond to Jesus Christ this morning? How will you respond to his word this morning? If you reject his word, you reject him. If you reject the preacher who preaches faithfully the word, you're rejecting Christ. And I want you um, all to understand that, you know, in our our world, some people for some reason think that there's something called a neutral ground, that you can be neutral. So when these disciples go out and they preach that people should repent, when you hear preaching on Sunday mornings here at Wish Church, there is nowhere for middle ground. There is nowhere to stand in the middle. And you, you see that there. Look again at verse 11. If they do not receive you or listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust that is, on, that is on your feet as a testimony against him. Basically, if they do not fully come over to the side, if they do not accept Jesus, if they do not receive you and receive the word of Christ, then they have rejected Christ. No one can say, look, I haven't rejected Jesus. Like I'm not against him or anything. I'm just not for him. Um, I don't know if you've heard people talk like that. I'm not an enemy of Jesus. I'm just not his friend. God says, if you're not my friend, you're an enemy. And here, if you do not receive and listen to the word that says, come and repent, then you have rejected that word. There is only receiving and rejecting. There is nowhere in the middle. There is no indifference. There is nowhere to be neutral. Either you are for him or you are against him. And that's what Jesus makes just black and white. If they do not receive you, and if they do not listen to you, then shake the dust that is on your feet off as a testimony
1: against them. And this last point, um, however you
0: respond, there is either eternal bliss or there is eternal death. And there is nowhere in between. And what these disciples did when they went to a town, when they, when they sort of shook the dust off their feet, what they were doing was sort of like a, a tradition that the Jews would do when a Jew would go to another country for trade or commerce or whatever, and they were coming back into the border. What they'll do before they step back into, into their home country was they'd shake, the, shake their sandals so that all the dust came off, so that they could take the pagan contaminated dust that was on their shoes off before they entered um, the promised land. That's how they expressed that these people were pagans and we're not. And when they, the disciples, are going from town to town, they're going from town to town and people's places um, who are Jews and who are in the promised land. And what they do then is saying, what they're saying is just because you're related to someone, just because you're, you're a descendant, perhaps even of David, doesn't mean that you are saved. And what they say when they shake the dust off their feet is you're a pagan. They classify this person as unsaved. They classify this person as not being a part of the covenant family of God. And so if you do not receive the word to repent and to believe, there is no neutral ground for you. You are not just a neutral person. You are either a believer or a pagan. There is nowhere in between. And this shaking off of the dust shows that.
1: And so the question is this morning. What what would the disciples do
0: if they came to your house? Would they walk out, get to the front door, grab their shoes, clap them together, shake all the dust off, and then walk off? Or would they call you brother and sister? Because you, along with them, have tasted the repentance that they are preaching about. Would the disciples say, you've rejected me and therefore you've rejected Christ? Or will they say, you have accepted his word, therefore you have accepted him? If these disciples came to your house today, how would they report to Jesus about your house? What would they go back and tell the master who has sent them? Friends, when his word is sent out and never comes back void, will either come back to him having saved someone or it would either come back to him having heaped up more and more judgment upon the person who has rejected it now where
1: are you there is no neutral do not fool yourselves where are you let's pray
0: Lord, what a wonderful and also sobering passage. Lord, we're so pleased and thankful that you are a God who is willing to save sinners. Lord, we're so overjoyed uh, that you have sent your disciples on a mission. And even ultimately there in Matthew 28, that you tell them to go and make disciples of all the world. Baptizing them and teaching them to observe everything that you have commanded. Lord, we thank you that you sent your disciples in that mission. And because you did that, some of us today in this country can say that we have been saved. Lord, we're so thankful that you are so involved in saving people and that it was your idea to send people so that people might be saved and that they might repent after hearing that proclamation.
1: Lord, we're also aware
0: that there are people who reject you. And Lord, if any of those people be sitting in this room, oh Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do something miraculous to them today. So that after hearing this proclamation, that they should repent. or having been transformed by you, that they will repent. We pray that that would be accomplished this morning. And Lord, for those who have been hardened having heard your words so often, growing more and more casual towards it. Lord, break the hard hearts and open the deaf ears and open those blind eyes so that people might repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we're so thankful that for those who do trust in Christ, those who do believe, uh, you have use for us. Lord, as weak as we are, And as um, insufficient as we are, you can do glorious things even through the weakest of us. So Lord, help us as we consider that you are still on your mission and that you have called us to participate in it. Help us to be more and more concerned for the lost. Lord, give us compassion for those lost souls who we know in our workplaces, who we know in uh, our family and in our friend circles. Oh Lord, give us deep compassion for them. Lord, would it be our our great concern that they should repent so that your name would be made famous in their lives. Lord, help us to care for the lost. Help us to to be willing to sacrifice things that we have and pleasures that we might want to experience so that someone else might hear the proclamation of repentance. And Lord, we're reminded again that your word never returns to your void. We pray that your word would accomplish what you have sent it out to accomplish this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.